Recently, I ran across an article that described some of the most difficult walking paths in the world. I have no idea why I was thinking about that, but I just thought, hmm, I wonder what would be considered a difficult walking path. Um, And so this article detailed a few different places in the world that were hard to walk through, places with jungles infested with insects or snowy mountain passes. Uh, But the one that was the most difficult was, according to this article, is a trail on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. It's in the Kalua Valley. Now tell me if this sounds appealing to you in their description. This trail is an 11-mile trail that sits 4,000 feet above the ocean and is the only land access to the Nopali coast, which is absolutely breathtaking. So far, so good. But 11 miles, that's kind of far. But here we go. As waves crash against the cliff's edge, you'll wind through thick jungles, thundering waterfalls, steep inclines and declines, and narrow passageways with one slip that will send you plummeting into the waters far below. The trail is often slippery with mud and rain, and so it is a really dangerous route and certainly one of the toughest in the world. That wasn't bad enough. Listen to this next description. Along the trail, the conditions are not, not, the conditions are not only dangerous, but many predators live in this area including black bears, cougars, and wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but there is no way I would ever do that. If, if the hike's not hard enough, I might fall and fall to my death. I don't want to have an animal out there that's looking to eat me. There is, according to the site, there is no walk that's harder. But as I was thinking about it, I think there is one walk that's harder. The Christian walk. The daily walk that we believers in Jesus have to put one foot in front of the other is perilous. We face many dangerous perils. On one side, we might have a precipitous cliff of temptation that can send us plummeting with one slip. We may face thundering waterfalls of suffering a narrow passage that squeezes us through trials, and an array of predators more menacing than black bears, cougars, or wolves. Let's be clear, Colossians has showed us, has shown us that the path following Jesus is difficult and it's hard. And Colossians is kind of like a trail guide with one message: keep walking, keep following, keep looking to Jesus, keep walking, keep following. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep walking. Keep following. Keep looking to Jesus. He's the one with all power. He's the one with all authority. He's the one who lived and died for us. He's the one in whom our lives are hidden in. He upholds us and He has canceled our massive debt of sin. Keep walking. We've seen that Jesus means, Jesus means that following Jesus means that He might just, as one author puts it, interfere with our daily lives and goals. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, as we follow him on this path, there are hazards in the road. But this morning, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, 
we're going to be alerted to a different kind of hazard, a hazard that we might not expect, a hazard that we can be tempted to put up in front of other people to block their way. We can describe it in all kinds of different ways. The catchword is legalism. But all of us have the potential to erect barriers on other people's paths that can distract them or block them or trouble them in their desire to follow Jesus. We have to be oh so careful. We want to follow Jesus. We don't want to follow religious tradition. We want to follow Jesus, and we don't want to erect barriers for others. We want to follow Jesus together without putting stumbling blocks down for anyone else. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see this message from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. I'll read, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Begin in verse 16. God's word says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have a, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. God Almighty, we're grateful that you have not left us wondering about what you think or your will. You've revealed yourself perfectly and infallibly in your word. Now I pray that you would help us to listen. We've heard you speak through your word just a moment ago as your word was read. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as your word is preached. Help us, Lord. We forget how much we need to hear from you. Help us to do just that here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Talk about today the wrong focus and the right focus. It's pretty simple. The wrong focus and the right focus. Now, the issue is a cluster of issues in verses 16 through 23, which can seem confusing and remote. Paul starts in verse 16, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That, verse 16, is talking about 
Old Testament festivals and dietary laws. Now, if you read the Old Testament, it sounds as if those laws have been put in place forever. But like, for example, in Numbers 28, this is, this is the new moon sacrifice that is prescribed in Numbers 28. At the beginning of your, of your month, that's the new moon, and for those of you keeping score, it's next Sunday, October 27th, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for the ram, and a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb, for a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. This is prescribed to the nation of Israel. And apparently, people in the church in Colossae were saying, listen, to be a real Christian, to take a step toward consecration and serious following, the serious following of Jesus, we need to celebrate the festivals that the Jews celebrated. We need to do the new moon sacrifices that they did. We need to observe the Sabbath in the way they did. In fact, we need to make sure we adhere to dietary laws so they wouldn't eat things that were unclean. Now, this may seem remote and strange to you because I can imagine that nobody, no, you're not having coffee this week and saying and asking someone, listen, I need to find another bull. I've only got one. I know I need to offer two. I've got my rams and six male lambs, and so I'm going to try to find another one. And I need to figure out how much an ephah of flour is so that I can offer that on the 27th. Nobody's doing that. Hopefully. And there's probably not very many people here who put pressure on you to celebrate Old Testament holidays. None of us are thinking mostly. Now, there are people who grow up in different traditions. But most of us aren't thinking about whether our food is clean, ritually clean or unclean. I can tell you it's ritually unclean to eat McNuggets, but that's another conversation. Um, in the church Paul is writing to, there was a mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And it appeared there was some amount of pressure to follow the Old Testament cleanliness and dietary laws. And Paul is saying, look at the command. There's a command in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In other words, don't be bothered if people say, you have to celebrate this festival. You must not eat bacon. You, cannot, you have to go to the new moon sacrifice, and this is the way the Sabbath must be followed. Paul is saying, nonsense, not true. And even goes a step further in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Do you know what that means? Asceticism is, is a way of life that is, that is marked by self-denial and the denial of experiencing pleasure. That's what asceticism is. And here's the problem with asceticism. It seems godly. It seems godly to deny yourself. Now, we as Christians, we deny ourselves in all kinds of different ways. The problem with asceticism is that people can say, you know, if you're really godly, you would never have ground beef. Or, if you're really godly, you would never touch that or eat that. And the problem is, is that it seems a little bit convincing. But Paul tells us it's not. 
It seems like a spiritual way of living to deny yourself like that. We are called to deny ourselves, but we're called to deny ourselves in the right way. See, there is no value in avoiding pleasure so that you might glorify God. There's this idea sometimes that we Christians think if we enjoy something, it must be not godly. Let me tell you something. False. That is false. You know, it's so wrong. And that kind of understanding can kind of creep into our lives. I mean, think about this. Who gave you taste buds? God. Why? So you could eat food and go, wow, that's good. So you can sit across the table with a friend or family member and say, man, have you ever tasted a, like, whatever you like, even if it's casserole, have you ever tasted... One like this. This is amazing. It's not spiritual, nor is it godly to eat bland food or go about eating bread and water because you want to deny yourself. It's not more godly not to eat. God has given us things to enjoy. We have eyes to see. And if our eyes function properly, we've got colors galore. We've got colors that we can see. We can see Every day, this sunset that is incredible. One time I was getting off a plane in Denver, and the Denver airport had, it faced, <coughs> it faced west, and I happened to be standing on the curb waiting for my ride to come get me, and I happened to look down the curb, and I see about eight or ten people with their phones taking a picture of something that way. And I was like, wow, I wonder what they're looking at. And so I looked, and I couldn't see anything that was remarkable. What are they taking a picture of? And I looked, and I said, oh, they're taking a picture of the sunset. And I thought, isn't that cute? You think that's pretty. I live in Arizona. There was no color in that sunset. It was just blue, 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 dark. (laughs) Here, when the sun goes down, it's like this explosion of color. Oranges and purples and yellows and all kinds of hues that attack the eyes. Why? So we can enjoy it. So we can say, isn't that beautiful? Now, there'd be nobody who would ever say, listen, let's go on a fast of looking at the sunset. That'd be ridiculous. It's not godly just to deny yourself pleasure, but it can seem that way. You know, Christians are famous at putting rules in place to say, if you're a real believer, you must do X, Y, and Z. See, in Colossae, they're saying real believers are going to, well, they're going to adhere to the Sabbath. They're going to adhere to, the, adhere to the, um, the, the food laws. We need to say that's not true. <laughs> there is no value in asceticism for asceticism's sake. If you enjoy chocolate, eat chocolate. If you enjoy hiking, hike. If you like road trips, go on a road trip. If you like a good meal, good wine, sports, the Grand Canyon, enjoy them. God has given us many things in this world to enjoy. We should. Now, our problem is, this is another sermon, when the things we enjoy become the gods we serve, that's not good, but that's not what we're talking about right now. The answer to pleasure is not blind austerity and asceticism. The answer is 
enjoy the things God has given us in the times God has given them to us and glorify him. Verse 23 tells us of the fruitlessness of asceticism. Verse 23, though these, these these practices, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value. They're of no value. They're of no value. How much value are they of? None. How much? None. They're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Severity to your body is never the answer to stop Sin. Now, that's how we focus on Jesus, right? We focus on Jesus. And so here's the challenge that we face as believers. It's super easy for us to say, you know what? This is the way I follow Jesus. Therefore, this is the way everybody should follow Jesus. Notice, Paul says, don't let them pass judgments on you if they're doing these things. Let no one disqualify you. Don't let it bother you. Paul doesn't say these festivals are of the devil or, you know, these people should stop immediately. No, he's saying don't let them put that on you as a requirement for you. Because when that happens, what are we doing? We are putting a barrier. We're putting a stumbling block. We're putting something in front of our brother and sister as they try to make it through this world. Now, what we're not saying, we're not, this conversation is not about saying something, it's not about redefining sin, right? It's not about redefining sin. We're not saying that, you know, it's okay to lie sometimes or cheat or steal or commit adultery or be, be a drunkenness, or be committed to drunkenness or gluttony or slander, any of those things. We're not saying that. The challenge here is legalism. And the problem with legalism is that it hides behind a mask of religiosity. Therefore, it sneaks in, and it's much more dangerous. You see, when somebody is committing adultery, they don't have to think, Lord Jesus, please reveal to me if I'm doing anything wrong. Nope, they know. But with legalism, it's different. Legalism always wears a mask of piety. And it sneaks in. Legalism is something that is, like, there's license where people are given to just live however they want to give, and there's legalism. And in the church, legalism is always more dangerous because it hides. It hides. And so we need to make sure that as Christians, we must not put barriers in front of other people in their walk as they seek to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is difficult enough. We must be really careful not to put legalistic practices or demands in front of other people. For example, if you're a minimalist, that's great. You don't want to have a bunch of stuff, and so you take all your stuff when you have extra stuff to Goodwill, and you keep restocking Goodwill, and other people come and buy that. That's fine. That's fine. But you can't say everybody should be a minimalist like me. Maybe you are convinced that you can't eat meat. That's fine. You want to be a vegetarian? God bless you. But God will not bless me to do the same thing. That's fine. And the temptation is 
for us to be convinced of something and say, therefore, everybody should do this. Now, legalism is easy to spot in other people and in other cultures. And these barriers are easy to spot when we're not the ones putting them out. So I came up with a few examples that sound ridiculous to our ears, but these are real issues from the church in the past. The church, the broader church, the Christian church. One example was there was a tradition that said buttons, like the ones on my shirt, are of the devil. I know you, did you ever know that? The devil, right here. I've got the devil represented in one, two, three, four, five, like a bunch on my shirt. And zippers, holy moly, that, you know, that's horrendous. See, they thought that what you needed to do was, there was, there was that wearing buttons was a novelty, and it was, it was ref- reflecting the spirit of the age and not the wisdom of Christ. And so, obviously, the only way to respond is by having the sect popped up, and they were called Hook and Eye Baptists. And so the only godly way to to clasp your clothes was with a hook and an eye, like that. If you had a button, of the devil. If you had a zipper, oh my goodness, you're going to hell. But if you have a hook and an eye, and they're clasped together, you're good. Now, we look at that and we go, that's ridiculous. That's just crazy. We would never think that. 400 years ago, Christians would not ever be caught dead using the word, ready? Sunday. Or Monday. Have you said Monday or Sunday? I'm just saying it now, and I'm saying it in church. You know why that's bad? Because Sunday means it's, it's Ra's day. That's the sun god's day. No, no, this is the Lord's day. So am I going to jump down people's throat if they say Sunday? No. But the days of our week are marked by Norse gods, right? Thursday is literally Thor's day, right? And so whenever we say Thursday, the roots of that go back to Thor. Now, when I say, hey, listen, let's make sure if you go to small group, be there on Thursday, nobody's going to be thinking, oh, my, Rich must worship Thor secretly. Does he have an altar to the Norse gods in his home? Nobody's going to think that, because that's not an issue that we, we, we look at or focus on. So they would say the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the Lord's day. And we, we don't do that. Puritans would say that wedding rings were evil because the devil danced round and round in them. I've never had that thought. Not something we say. So we can see these examples and say, that's, that, that kind of legalism, that's not a trap for me. Anyone knows what devil's grease is? Lipstick. From generations past. You wear devil's grease, that's, that's of the devil, right? Obviously, that grease on your lips is of the devil, and so therefore, you're not following Jesus the way you should. Now, these are just man-made things that are, that, that are barriers that go up in front of other people. Now, what... When it becomes difficult, now none of us are going to be tempted by the devil's grease. You know, I don't think any ladies are going to go, oh my, I need to go to the bathroom right now and wipe this off. No, that's not going to happen. That's not a worry. Now the challenge is when we have things in our lives and we say, you must make the same decisions I do, 
to follow Jesus faithfully in these areas. And it's not going to be about what we call the days of the week. It's not going to be about buttons or hooks and eyes. It's going to be about things that we care about. I'll give you an example from a, pa- a past issue here. It was homeschooling. Years and years ago here, there was this understanding, this belief 15, 20 years ago that, that because that homeschooling was the best and only way to educate your children. Now, people, it, people, what we would say, what I'd say is, listen, parents have responsibility to educate their children however they want. That's their responsibility. The problem is, is when you say, I homeschool, therefore everybody should homeschool, that's a problem. That's a gospel issue. That's saying you are doing something that is not quite up to par if you're not doing this. And that's a problem. What does Paul say? That's erecting a barrier. That's putting a stumbling block in front of people. That's, if, it, if, if we do something or have an opinion and push it on someone and say, this is the way you must follow Jesus as well, what we're doing is we're putting a barrier. And Paul would say, don't let them pass judgment on you. Don't let that bother you. There's other things as well. What are some things that might hit closer to home? Like Halloween. I used to go to a church 25 years ago that would pass out a orange, an orange flyer that, says, that said, why we don't celebrate Halloween, you know. And it went on and on and on and talked about the roots and everything. Now, let's say, and, that, and that's, we didn't pass out flyers about anything else. We didn't pass out flyers that talked about why we don't do this or why we don't celebrate New Year's Day or whatever. We, we, we didn't do any of those things, but we did for Halloween. Um, there was some thought about where the roots of this came from. And, and listen, if that's your conviction, that's fine. But that's not a conviction we can put on other people. That's not a conviction we can say, listen, because I don't believe this, that therefore everybody should not believe this too. I sh- we shouldn't celebrate it. For some of you, you're going to think, man, I just want to go out and get some candy. Or I want, yeah, praise God, let's get candy and I'll, you know, dress up as Harry Potter or whatever and I'm going to go out and get candy. Okay, great, that's fine. You know, and so we can't say something like real Christians don't celebrate Halloween. That, that flyer was essentially just saying, let's put a barrier in front of people so that, that, that if they have a different perspective about a secondary or tertiary issue, they can feel left out. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that with our political perspectives. All of, the, all of us have them. I have them. You have them. We have ideas about the direction of the nation and who should be elected in the next election cycle. But we should never say, real Christians vote like me. Oh, my. We don't have that freedom. Hold our perspectives. But may we not put that as a barrier in front of other people. One that's popular more and more these days is creation care. People are saying that it's part of the mission of local churches to be involved in creation care. Now, I'm happy to discuss this if this is something you're interested in. What I would say is that nowhere in the scriptures are the church, is the church commanded to engage in creation care like that. Now, if you're called to help the environment, great. God bless you. Do it. But you cannot demand that every other Christian has to do it in the same way you are. The priority in Scripture is always, always on people. People who are suffering. 
people who are going to hell, people who need encouragement and be, need to be built up, people who need to hear the gospel, people who need to just put one foot in front of the other. Now, are you free to practice creation care? Yes. Are you free to demand that everybody does? No. Those are the kind of things that we can put in front of people to be barriers. Our emphasis must not be on our, on our opinions or preferences. Because it's so easy to take our preferences and opinions and put them in the scriptures and say, you know what? That's right. You know, I'm going to put that right there. No, actually what we need to do is let the Bible have its speak, have, its, uh, have, have voice to us. And we must not be the kind of people who pass judgment on others because of how, of, of, because of some of the choices they make on secondary matters. It's repeated twice. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, you don't have to run around saying, are you passing judgment on me? You better not. No, you just don't let it bother you. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, verse 18. I mean, there's some people who say, our goal should be to have the smallest carbon footprint possible, and that's godly. You know what? That's fine if you want to say that for yourself. God bless you. But that is not something I believe the Scriptures speak to and demand all of us to do. We're all supposed not to lie. We're not supposed to cheat, steal. We're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to be forgiving and use our words to build others up. And we may, we may decide, we may decide to engage in that other, that, other, that other stuff, but the idea is always that we want to reflect the emphasis Scripture has, and we don't want to pass judgment on people. Now, we spent a long time talking about the wrong focus. Now we're going to look at the right focus. The right focus, Paul shows us in three different places in our section this morning. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. The Old Testament dietary laws, the, the, the prescriptions of, for the Sabbath in the Old Testament, those are a shadow. Those were aids and tools in the Old Testament to help people look forward to something, a greater reality that was coming, and his name is Jesus. He is our subst- he's the substance of our faith. He's the substance of our hope. Our hope and faith exists only because he does. There is no deeper journey into biblical faithfulness that moves away from Jesus. That just doesn't happen. He is the substance of our faith. He is the substance of our hope. Not what we believe about Halloween. Not what we believe about politics or buttons or the environment or the next election. Our substance is Jesus. What would we have if we don't have him? We would have nothing. He died so we can live. He rose from the dead so that we might be justified. He ascended to the right hand of the Father so that he might have all authority and use it on our behalf. He is seated at the right hand of the Father so he can pray for us by name. He is able to protect us against all of our enemies. He is constantly working in our lives. He sends His Spirit to encourage us. He sends His Spirit to to convict us. He sends His Spirit to build us up. 
And he will one day take us to eternal glory. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have these things. And our focus ought to be on him. And not these peripheral ideas about what you should eat or not eat. Or how you should celebrate this or that. He is our substance. We also see another phrase in verse 19. He says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. And he goes on about asceticism. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Grows with the growth that is from God. Holding fast to the head. When we get taken along with all kinds of different secondary and tertiary matters, we're not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus. We're not holding fast to who he is. We're not holding fast to his promises for us. When we get taken with what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, how, all these secondary matters, we are not focusing on Jesus. We follow Jesus. We follow him. And he is, the one, he is what makes us distinctive. We're distinctive not because of who we vote for or where we live. We're distinctive not because of what we believe about Halloween or what we believe about buttons. We're distinctive because we have Jesus. And we're united not because we're of the same socioeconomic background or we live in the same neighborhood. We're united because of him. He is what we have most in common. It's one of the reasons I'm very excited, and there's, we're, it's a process, a longer process than I knew, but to change the church name, we're going to proclaim to everyone who we're fixed on. We're going to be center church, and what are we? Fixed on Jesus. Bam. Fixed on Jesus. What are we, you don't have to you drive by, and at a glance, you get a vision for what we're about. What are we about? Well, are they about, what are they about? Well, they're about Jesus. Okay, that's great. So we must hold fast to him. We must hold fast to him and not our traditions and not our beliefs about what to eat and not eat and not asceticism, not visions. We're united to Jesus. And the last, the last element we see is in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Remember last week we saw that we are united to Jesus. We're united to Jesus. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended, that shows that one day we will ascend to be with him. He matters, not what we eat or don't eat, not what we believe about politics or the environment or Halloween. He matters. And if we get our eyes off of him, we will slip down the path we're walking. We will face thundering waterfalls of temptation. And if we move our eyes from Jesus, we could fall. We will have to navigate thick jungles of trials and trouble and tribulation. And if our eyes are not fixed on Him, we could lose our way. We will have to walk by steep ledges of sorrow And if our eyes are not fixed on him, we could slip and go down into bogs. We're going to have to walk on the trail, a trail that's slippery with disappointments past, present, and future. And if we don't focus on Jesus, we will fall. We're going to hear the growling of our enemies. 
And if we don't focus on Jesus, we could give in to fear. We follow Jesus. He is the one that makes us different and distinct. Not what we don't eat. Not what we do eat. And may we not put barriers in front of anyone else on secondary matters. Because what's primary? Jesus. He's primary. He's who we're going to focus on. He's who we're about. May our lives reflect that in everything we do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would I pray that you forgive me for those times that I've held on to my opinion or my preference too strongly and made it hard for others. But I pray that we'd be a people who are very eager to not pass judgment on people, to not look down at others, to to encourage you, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who focus on you and not all these other secondary issues. That's hard. But I pray you would give us strength to do that. May we not have to, may we not be a people who put barriers in front of others. May we experience the freedom of grace that you give. May we enjoy the good gifts you give us. May we have hobbies that that you've given us to enjoy. But may we also recognize that in all that enjoyment, you are the one who gives us these good gifts. And may we encourage one another to keep following you and help our eyes to stay on you. I pray for any here who are not following you, Lord. I pray that you would, pray that you would convict them and, want, and, and just put a desire in their hearts to want to follow you. Jesus, thank you for being worth sacrificing everything for. Thank you for purchasing us and owning us and determining our lives and our future. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And it's in our hope in you that we stand. Amen.